0: All right, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Awesome, good morning. For those of you who are joining us online, we are so excited that you've carved out some time. I just want to reiterate our uh, chat feature that is a part of our YouTube broadcast. We've been trying to interact with you All morning long. Jump on there. Let us know you're there. Several of you already have, but we just want you to know whether you're here, uh, but staying home for the day, or you're in Nebraska, California, Canada, uh, Juarez, wherever you are, we would just love to say hi so we can connect uh, with you. We very much consider you a valuable part of our church body. And we're so excited that you guys are here. How are we doing this morning? Are we doing a little bit better than last week? Uh, it's going to be something that we, yeah, you can clap. That's good. It's going to be something that we continually check in on how are we doing. And there's going to be good days and bad days. And there's going to be good Sundays and difficult Sundays. And, and we just want you to know as a staff, as a leadership, that we're just going to embrace that. And we want you to feel free to come as you are Uh, So if you're doing horribly, you're welcome here. If you've had just a stupendous week, uh, you're welcome here. So uh, this morning, we're starting a new series in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open those up, or if you're going to use your phone or a tablet, or if you want to use a a hard copy, there's Bibles in all the chairs kind of in front of you. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, to be exact, uh, which really focuses primarily on Jesus's uh, parables, specifically parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven or or the kingdom of God, and and what's great is it says he taught in many parables, and then we just get a few. So I'm like, what are those other parables that he that he taught about? So, uh, but I want you before we jump into that, as you're turning to Matthew 13, I want you to think with me just for a moment in light of our uh, crisis. Here locally in Louisville and Superior, with the fire destruction, uh, and the fact that we want to so desperately be the hands and feet of Jesus. Not just to help people with their physical needs are, but to to help them with their heartfelt uh, needs as well. Uh, We really want to point people to hope and to peace and provisions and, and how God can jump in. I have this question. Why is it that some people respond to the gospel while others do not? Maybe you've wondered that. Uh, How is it that uh, a pastor or an evangelist or a preacher can have a room full of uh, 50 or 500 or 5,000, give the exact same message, and some people's hearts are are pulled in that direction and they respond, and others uh, don't even give it the time or day? Uh, That's the question that Jesus raises in this very first parable, and We have a deep desire, you heard Tanner talk about it, as we reach out to people, our care team, and many of you are part of our our care team, as we reach out to people to do that caretake interview of how can we help you, there will be some who want nothing to do with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's gonna be hard. But why is that? Why? What happens in there? And I think this is critically important because it exposes This kingdom of God that many of us are a part of, and it helps us understand what we're up against, what we're dealing with. So for the next seven weeks, we are gonna be in this chapter alone. We're gonna take some field trips to other books of the Bible. But for the most part, our classroom is going to be Matthew chapter 13. So I just want to encourage you, for those of you who are here, for those of you who are joining us online, is grab a Bible that you go, man, I really want this to be my Bible for the next seven weeks, and read that chapter every single day. It's pretty short. Just read it every single day, and ask God as you're doing so, expose me to the truth. So that I have further understanding. He will do that if you ask of it. So with all of that said, if you are willing and able, would you please stand? And we are going to read the first 23 verses from Matthew chapter 13. Later that same day... Uh, the last 12 chapters, Jesus has been teaching. So if you're a teacher in the room and you think you had a long day, he's got 12 chapters of teaching and, and lots going on. So he's been doing this. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crather soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. That seems like a pretty good deal. You stand, I get to sit. Uh, But I'm not Jesus, so you get to sit. Uh, He told many stories in the form of parables. We'll we'll unpack parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds and he scattered them across his fields. Some seeds fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. You might be saying, well, explain yourself, Jesus. He does. His disciples came to him and asked, well, why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding that that they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear They don't really listen or understand. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of God and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted on the hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no food, fruit is produced. Verse 23, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat. Matthew sets the scene here. Uh, the lake. Jesus is out on this lake. You can see it on your television screen or computer, and for those of you here in this room. It's the Sea of Galilee. You see a yellow arrow that I've pointed to that shows the bay where Jesus sat on this boat. Uh, And the crowds gathered around him, and so he Really uses the boat as his pulpit, if you would. And he's sitting a a little bit off from shore, enough to where people can hear him. But the shores of this bay cascade up. And so it almost creates an amphitheater. So his voice just, you know, reverberates all throughout this amphitheater. You can kind of picture him sitting on this boat, which is super cool. Uh, And along the shores of Galilee, the slope upward, uh, people are sitting on the banks. You can picture them if you've ever gone to a lake or sat by a river and you find a nice big rock that's smooth and you're not probably going to fall off of and you kind of stable yourself and you sit down. You can picture these people sitting and listening to Jesus. It is absolutely a remarkable picture, especially when you see the lake uh, itself. And he teaches a parable. Now, the question naturally is, well, what's a parable? Uh, A parable uh, is any type of saying or story that uh, that contains something that's similar or parallel in comparison. Uh, For those of you kids in this room, young adult students, you may have heard your dad try and do this, where they just, they're like, hey, it's kind of like this, and they go on to this long story, and you're like, what is your point? And then they parallel something, and sometimes it makes sense, and other times you're like, Whatever, you could have just told me the fact. Uh, And so do any students have someone or you know someone that does that? Or you're the person who does that? Maybe even better. Good, more hands. Good, yeah. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. The word parable itself means comparing together. That's what they do. They, they compare something together or laying one side along with another. Mark, my friend Mark from Alaska does like it the best, uh, where he's always got like a, a wilderness or a building or a, an emergency disaster analogy uh, for that. So... The parable is simply a way of teaching spiritual truth using a commonplace, down-to-earth way to tell the story. Why is that? Why would Jesus speak in a parable? Well, the Bible makes it really clear the things of heaven are beyond our comprehension. So it would be like if I went to Corbin, who's like stupid smart, like in a brilliant way, and what are you studying again at CU? CU? Engineering physics, like most of you. Uh, And so if Corbin were to say, if I were to say, hey, tell me what you're learning, he would have to use a parable. Why? Because he knows I can't understand that in any way, shape, or form. And so if Jesus, who who had left heaven, he knows exactly what the kingdom of God is, if he were to start going, well, here's where the bedrooms are and and here's where we worship and and here's where we kind of know the future and the present and the past and here's how, we would be like completely dumbfounded with ignorance. And so what does he do? He tells us stories. That's what Jesus does. And so now, let's unpack some of the important parts of this story. The seed represents the word of God. If you're gonna take notes, this is gonna be a long series, seven weeks, you can just grab your pen and just start writing things down so that you can understand this later. Because if you're like me, after seven weeks, you're not gonna remember all this. So verses 18 and 19 tell us the seed represents The word of God. Verse 18 and 19. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, that's the seed. The gospel of Matthew calls the seed the message of the kingdom. The gospels of of Mark and Luke, they just simply call it the word of God, which is absolutely fine. But here, Matthew refers to it as the message of the kingdom. And so, sowing the seed represents... God's word being shared with other people. The good news that, that God sent his only son, Jesus, in the world to save. That's the message of the good news. Some people try to equate the sower um, with Jesus, which is not bad. Anytime you equate something with Jesus, it's always kind of a good thing. But that would be a, a little bit too specific We should probably keep it a little bit more general in referring to anyone who shares the message with anybody. That's the sower. That's what most scholars kind of land on. Now, there's soil. I don't know if you've studied soil very well. Uh, Some of you may have done that. But the first three soils represents hindrances to the gospel. This goes back to our original question: Why do some people gravitate towards it and and receive it and interact with it? And some of you are like that. You heard the gospel and you're now here and you're, you're growing your family and and you're discipling. And then others go, "No thanks." Why is that? Well, there's three soils that represent three hindrances to the gospel, uh, the, to the gospel obstacles that keep people from receiving. The word of God, the first one is the most important, and that is Satan himself. Verse 19, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message of the kingdom and they don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. And that means that Satan does have the power to take away the seeds that you and I plant. That's for our kids, That's for our friends, that's for our neighbors, that's for our work associates. The enemy has the ability to swoop in and take what you gave. That's important that we understand that. We lived in California for 20 years, and we learned very quickly, you don't leave your food uh, unattended. Not because another individual will come and swoop and grab it, but seagulls will. Uh, They will come and steal your fries. They will steal your In-N-Out burger. They will steal your three-year-old. If you leave things unattended, they will swoop in and grab it, and it's gone. That's my parable because it perfectly represents what Satan can and does do. What this, I hope, does in, in a certain sense is it takes a little bit of the guilt or shame, or pressure that sometimes parents feel. Of look, I mean, we we didn't just scatter seed; we dumped the whole bag on our kids, and yet, where is that? I think it's important that we realize Satan swoops and steals those seeds. That's his heart's ambition, and he does it really. Really well. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four tells us the God of this age, make no mistake, He's Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ. Satan is the God of this age. We go well. Why is our world like this? Well, look who's in charge. Satan himself is in charge, and he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. This is why when we say there's a war out there between good and evil, be, between the things of God and the, and the things of the enemy, and it's because Satan is working so hard to keep people blinded, which is why uh, we will hear about, and we heard even this morning, hey, can I pray for you? And the response is, no, thank you. Well, for those uh, who, who we understand the truth That just is mind-boggling for us. Why would you decline prayer? Why would you decline someone wanting to pray for you? Well, it's because Satan has blinded. It's no fault of the individual. Satan is winning that war. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we spent about a year and a half ago, uh, actually about a year ago, we spent an enormous amount of time on 1 Peter. Chapter 5, verse 8 says this, your, en- the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the question naturally is, what do you do? If, if, if there's something ro- roaring around you, wanting to devour you, well, what do you do about it? And God says you resist him. You resist him. You run from him. You hide from him. You fight against him. You are not a weak believer in Jesus Christ. You are a member of the royal priesthood and you have every battle axe available to God that is available to you. You resist. And it says we must stand firm in our faith, firm in prayer against the enemy, stealing the seeds of other people's hearts. Well, how do we do that? Well, whenever you're witnessing to someone, Whenever you're listening to a sermon, whenever there's an opportunity to accept Christ, whenever you're uh, discipling your children, whenever you're you're interacting with with maybe someone who lost everything, and you go, "Yeah, we we definitely want to help you, but how's your heart?" And you begin to kind of share the hope that you have. What do you do? You pray, and you pray, and you pray. It's not enough to have the answers. It is not enough. The Bible says even the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God. The facts are the facts, but we pray against the battle of principalities and we pray for people to hear and then receive God's word. Sometimes we don't, even, we don't do either. We don't share with them because we feel like we don't have all the answers or we feel like I'm just too much of an introvert or this is not a good time or I don't know what to say. But then we work up the, the gumption to do that, but then we don't supplement that and back it and undergird it with prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to infuse in us. So we pray for people to receive God's word and we pray against Satan taking that away. That's our fight. So that's one. The second hindrance is this a false profession of faith. This is found in verses 20 and 22. In this scenario, the person professes faith with gladness, with sincerity, but then slowly falls away. It's not rooted. And I've seen this time and time and time again. I started in ministry in 1992. And I've seen it over and over and over where someone hears the gospel, they get excited, they start coming to youth group or they go to a Bible study or, or they help on on a work day and then slowly but surely, it falls away. Something comes up, life gets busy. There's distractions and then it's gone. And so what happens there? What does that mean? Well, what it means is that, according to Jesus, they didn't have any roots. And I love planting, I love trees, I love landscaping, I love just being out in the yard. Why? Because I don't have any electronics. No one can get a hold of me. There's no emails, there's no phone calls, there's no problems. The only problem is the grass or the tree or the shrubs in front of me. And, And I just enjoy that. But I know this that if the roots don't go deep, that tree or that bush or that flower is not long for this world. And Jesus says it was a false profession. Colossians chapter two, starting at verse six, says this. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, thumbs up, well done, good job, continue to live in him. In other words, don't let up. Keep infusing, keep looking, keep reading, keep challenging yourself. Keep, 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 keep. Continue to live with him, rooted and built up in him. And so a person with no root is a person without Christ. You might be saying, well, I, I feel like my roots are pretty small. Wonderful. Roots grow. It's not a bad thing if your root is, is short or small or skinny. The important Thing is that the root continues to grow. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. A surface faith is shallow. A surface faith can be blown over by the wind. A true profession of faith in Christ, that comes from the heart. And that's the problem with a group of people that are represented by this second soil. They only had faith on the surface. And a surface faith is not a saving faith. And we have to remember that. It helps us understand not just the world out there that we want to give hope and peace and provision to in the name of Jesus, but it also under- helps us understand ourselves you might be sitting here going, wow, over the last five years, I just feel like I'm in the same place as my faith was five years ago. Well, I would encourage you to think a little bit introspectively. How have you grown? Have you gone to a Bible study? Our women's Bible study, we're going to be promoting that this week, our women's Bible study. The Vine is starting a brand new Bible study uh, coming up. Have you done that? Have you gone to Access on Friday mornings? Uh, have you joined a, a life group and, and built relationships and gone deeper and allowed yourself to be held accountable? Have you said, I know my life is busy, but there are people who need help with these fires. I'm going to just jump in and, and God will figure out my schedule. That's how you grow your roots. It just is. I, I wish, and I've said this so many times, I, I wish I could go to any one of you and say, hey, how did you grow the most in faith? And none of you will say, on the beaches of Cancun. Toes in the water, or whatever that song goes, something in my hand, and toes in the sand, and whatever. How did you grow? If I go to any of you who are growing in Christ, and I say, well, where did you grow the most? It was through heartache. It was through pain. It was through work. It was through sacrifice. It was, it was allowing yourself to be taken to a deeper place. So how do you prevent a false profession of faith in Christ? Now, I'll just say this. I don't know if we can eliminate it completely. I'll just be fair. I don't know if we can eliminate it completely. But there's a few things that we can do um, to make them less common. First of all, we can help people count the cost when we give the message. Too long, the church is gone, pray the prayer. And then we clap and celebrate that, and then we have a staff meeting and go, hey, 80 hands were raised, wonderful. 75 of those fell away. We gotta help people understand how to count the cost of following Jesus. We don't just represent Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's a disservice to people. Or, hey, you get to go spend eternity with God in heaven, wonderful. It is so much more than that. If you lead with, do you want to spend eternity with God on on streets of gold? Who doesn't want that? But what's the sacrifice that comes with that? And so we've got to help people understand the repentance from sin and the cost of discipleship. And make no mistake, it's costly. This whole idea of evangelism where someone says, it costs you nothing, just receive I don't know, has it cost any of you anything? I think it's probably cost you quite a bit. Secondly, we, we present not just the message, but the person. It's not the message. The message is great, but if it's just message alone without the person, we've missed the mark. The basic Christian confession is not, I believe a gospel presentation, but I believe that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's what we want to help people understand. The gospel, all that does is shine a huge spotlight on the fact that Jesus is Lord of the universe and beyond. Because why? We're, we're winning people to Jesus, not to a religion. and even not even to our church. I'll be honest, I could care less if we go reach people in the name of Jesus and they come to our church or not. I don't care. I would love for them to go to a Christ proclaiming church. If it's ours, wonderful. If it's another one that lifts up the name of Jesus, wonderful. This isn't a church growth strategy, this is living out the gospel strategy. And then thirdly, we can pray for true understanding. We don't just want to pray that they hear and understand what we're telling them. We want to pray that there's true understanding. First Corinthians chapter two verse fourteen says this: "The things that come from the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned." This is why I have such a hard time sometimes with apologetics. There's a place for apologetics, but tell me how many people you've won to the Lord by winning at a debate? It doesn't happen. You could could prove beyond belief and, and truly, truth be told, if anyone wants to study the validity of Jesus Christ, the validity of the Bible, the validity of all that Jesus did, you will find it's absolutely true. But that doesn't change faith, nor does you winning an argument or making a really good point on Facebook. That's not gonna do anything. We need to pray that God will open the hearts to truly understand the gospel, and not just repeat a prayer. Simply saying a prayer doesn't make you a Christian. Confessing Jesus is Lord and believing that in your heart that he raised him from the dead, that does. So that's the second hindrance. Last hindrance, a worldly focus. This is in uh, verse 22. Jesus says here that a worldly focus can choke the word out of a person's life. And then he gives us two examples on what a worldly focus looks like. First, there are the worries of this life. Now, I just want to tread carefully here, especially here. Uh, We have worries of this life, we're not discounting those worries. You have kids you're raising. Those are worries of, of this life. I'm not discounting those. You're, you're looking for other jobs. You're, you're raising kids. You're, you're trying to figure out things financially. God never minimizes those things. He merely asks us to put them in perspective. That's important because God cares deeply for your pets. He cares deeply for your job. He cares deeply for aging family members. Anything you can come up with, he cares about those. Does he care about those as much as something else? No, he doesn't. Okay, are we okay with that? That's important. To say, God cares as much that I locked my keys out of my car as he does starving children in Africa. No, he doesn't. He has compassion for you as his kid, like, ah, bummer. But he's not going to assign a legion of army of angels to come and swoop and help you with your keys in your car. He just isn't. And so we have to understand that perspective. And some people will say this because of the worries of life. Well, I would receive Christ, but this is just not a good time. I have a lot of problems at home. There's a problem with the kids. There's a problem with my car. And once I get everything straightened out, or once I become older, once I become a, quote, real adult... Then, after I've had my fun, that was mine, then I'll come to Christ. Then I'll straighten up and fly right. And so, the word gets choked out because the person is distracted by the worries of this world. Friends, as we try and reach our community, as we try and serve them with a selfless heart, and, and love them in a way that they need, there will be some, albeit understandable, that are too consumed with the worries of this world, and that helps us understand that. So that maybe we walk slower and softer and a little bit more carefully because we know their hearts Are broken. And we lead with that, not a bunch of answers. Does that make sense? And this is important. Bless you. Because sometimes uh, it's a verbal or a nonverbal hug, it's the compassion in the eyes. It's the, I'm gonna walk with you as long as it takes and I'm not going anywhere. That compassion, that love, that desire to care when no one else will, that's the heart of Jesus. And then the second thing is the deceitfulness of wealth. Think of the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus because he could not depart from his wealth. (laughs) That seed got choked out really fast. Like almost instantaneously. But you don't have to be wealthy to get tripped up by this one because some of you are like, well, I'm not wealthy, so that one's not on me. Okay, it does. The Bible says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So, you might not have a lot of money. Uh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the moment here right now. I'm trying to think of a movie. Uh, little yellow characters, minions, but what's the movie? Despicable Me. Despicable Me. Okay, thank you. Appreciate class participation. I just had this moment. So, there's this line in that movie that goes regarding money, we have no money. Sometimes the church says that. Hey, I know you want donuts. Regarding money, we have no money. So that might be you. Regarding money, I have no money. So this doesn't apply to me. Where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Almost all of you have one of these evil things that I'm addicted to. I'll just be quite honest. My whole life's on there. You don't have to have a lot of money to have your heart set on it. So how do we handle this distraction? Well, we need to expose the worldly wealth for what it is. The Bible calls it uh, in uh, several different places throughout Scripture a snare or a trap. That's, that's how it's described. And I've always liked the attitude of Augur, son of Jacob, in the book of Proverbs. Here's what he says. First, this is in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. First, help me to never tell a lie. It's not a bad way to start. Help me to just not tell I second. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want either of them. Just give me enough to satisfy my needs. Verse nine, for if I go rich, I may deny what you say. Well, who is this Lord? Sounds pretty familiar to the world we live in. And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And so this is the third hindrance to people receiving the gospel, a worldly focus rather than a focus on God. And that disrupts the growth and the understanding of the kingdom of God. And then finally, we come to see the seed that produces a crop in verse 23. It says this, But the one who has received the seed that fell on good soil is the man or woman who hears the word and understands it. Here she produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So this is our last point. The good soil represents the growing believer in Jesus. And my heart's hope is that's you. The seed in the good soil represents the person who hears the word, understands God's word, and then continues to grow in God's word. Now that can be slow, it it could be a a slow progress, but nevertheless, it's happening, and that's what we're looking for. We want to see the Word of God take root in people's lives to create change, and we want to see so desperately, we want to see the Word of God changing people's lives, changing your life. So that you can look back in the rear view mirror a year from now and go, wow, I'm, I'm way closer in walking with Jesus than I am today. That is the roots that begin to sink down. And, and this had to be a little bit encouraging to those disciples who are about to go preach. And Jesus says, go and, and do this. Well, they've grown. And Jesus says that growth is what's going to catapult you to go and to serve. So that is the first parable of our text regarding the kingdom of God. I want to wrap this up. Uh, The team's coming up. We're going to get ready to worship here. But I just want to give you three points to just summarize. Uh, Some of you are like that, right? In class, uh, you're almost like an attorney. Just the facts. I don't need all the other fluff. Just give me the facts. Well, this is for you if if that's how you learn. Uh, Because we've covered a lot, and we're going to cover a lot in the next six weeks in regards to this particular Uh, chapter. But let me close with wrapping this up with three overall applications on what this means for you and I as we try and live out this faith. First of all, be careful how you hear. That's really the main point of this parable. Let's be honest. Be careful how you hear. The seed that grows is no different than the seed that lands on the path or the rocky ground or among the thorns. It's all the same seed. It's all the same message. It's all the same person of Jesus Christ. But you need to receive it daily. Daily receive the seed of God with an open heart and an open mind. So the first is be careful how you hear the word of God. Number two, sow God's word wisely. Remember, this is not a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you're looking for something to do, this is a command to sow the word of God into the fabric of this world. But sew wisely. Be a good witness for Christ. Share God's word with people whenever and wherever you can. Let God worry about your embarrassment. Let God worry about I don't know how have all the answers. You go to the grocery store, share. You, you go to the rec center, share. You go to class, share and you will begin to see God working in and through you. And then thirdly and finally, be assured of the harvest. You may already know this, but let me give you some good news. God is still in the saving business. 97% of Boulder County is not affiliated with the church. The harvest is plentiful. There's work to be done. The kingdom of of God does not have a no vacancy sign up. He is still saving. He is still redeeming. And if you think your loved ones are too far from God, I ask you to think of a higher picture of God. They are not too far from God. This world is not too far from God. Our family is not too far from God. The people we work with are not too far from God. His kingdom is bigger than we can wrap our minds around. The resources that are available at his fingertips blow our minds away. It's it's innumerable. And he uses you and I to expose that. He uses you and I as the hope of mankind. He could have done it any other way. He could have written in the sky with one of those airplane writers, which I still don't know how that works. But he didn't. He chose to say, you. Yeah, you. You are gonna change the world for my kingdom. And if you're anything like me, you regularly look in the mirror and go, really? Maybe I can introduce you to some other people, but me? Yes, you and our church to take the kingdom of God and expose it for what it is hope. Hope. And that's the kingdom of God. So be careful. And, and maybe just go a little bit slower and pray. Because we are in the midst of seeing God do something that we can't even understand. It's happening. And even in the midst of tragedy, I stood on this stage in March after our Boulder shootings, and I said, light is breaking through the darkness. And the name of Jesus is being lifted up as a beacon of hope and provision and peace and comfort. And that situation we find ourselves in today is unlike any other. And yet that message is the same today. So let me pray for us. Lord, we uh, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the hope that is found. We thank you for the peace that is discovered. We, we thank you for the cautions. Uh, we thank you for the teaching. I, I'm personally grateful you didn't uh, used divine language in describing. You, you used our language. You used parables and stories so that we can understand it. I, I, I'm grateful for that. And I pray that as we seek to serve, uh, seek to, to save and to serve and, and to protect and to provide for those who are hurting. And, and not just those who have lost a home in the fires. Uh, for those whose lives today look absolutely perfect and yet have no roots. May we scattered seed, empowered and strengthened by your Holy Spirit, and we promise to give you the praise and the glory and the honor at every turn, for it is your kingdom, and we submit and we bow before it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and let's worship in response.